Good Good morning. It's a beautiful day out there, and it's good to... Can't think of a better place to be on a beautiful day than in the beautiful house of God. Among the fellowship of His people. We are, you probably know, if you've been here for the last uh, six months or more, that we are in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we are in our final chapter. But we haven't finished yet. There will be a few more sermons after this one. And I've chosen to camp in this uh, chapter for some time to just really try to flesh it out, because I think Paul, in, in addressing problems in the Corinthian church, really addresses problems in our hearts and in our society, and in our culture as well. And one of the problems that we will look at again this morning has to do with church authority. And I've already talked about church authority. I'll just review that a little bit. But I will get into um, why we resist authority this morning. Why is it such a, a difficult thing for us to bring ourselves under others or under the laws and the will of God. But in this final chapter, Paul is getting tough. Tough love, you might say. The Corinthians, there are issues there. There is sin that is unrepented of. And it's not good for the church. It's not good for an individual. It's not good for any group when there's unrepented sin. It has to be dealt with. And so Paul's approach is to use his church authority. He sees that God has given him authority not just to preach God's word, but to enforce it in, to some degree. And so even within any groups, including a church group, there's discipline. We have discipline in our families, right? We have to execute discipline. There's laws, there's boundaries that have to be kept to keep things from getting chaotic and unruly. So Paul's going to come, he says, he warns them. He doesn't want to be severe in his use of authority. We'll read that in verse 10 shortly. So he warns them, it's to your advantage to get your life straight with God. Get your heart straight with God so that I don't have to come wielding this kind of authority. And then we looked at that the reason Paul has authority is it's because it's given to him by God. So the source of his authority is literally God-given. So God has all authority. This is all God's. God created everything. He created us. And as our creator, he has authority over us. And he has the power and the will and the goodness to tell us what to do. And it's to our, our advantage to know God's will, to know his commands. Because anything that God requires our submission to is, is for his glory and our good because he created all things in harmony. So even though it's, uh, it's not fun to be disciplined, it's not fun to be um, confronted. You know, we talk about that in Galatians. It's, it's not fun to admit that we have failures and sins and transgressions and weaknesses, though we, we strive not to. But we do, and God, in, in a sense, has created uh, the, the church as a team of other fellow believers to help each other be accountable, to help each other walk the path that God has given for us. But it's all under the understanding that God is at the head. So authority works from the top down by God's design. And God is at the very top. When God is not at the top of authority, when authority is being administered in an ungodly way, 
It goes terrible. It's abusive. And God himself does not require that we obey or submit to any authority that is over us for whatever reason that would tell us to do something contrary to his law. We do not have to submit to man. In that case, we always submit to God and to his law. So that's the key. God defines what's right. God's, God defines what's good. And as we will see a little later on this morning, when we lose that, that authority of the Word of God, when we lose our understanding and our perspective on, on God as being above all, one in whom all are accountable to, He's not accountable to us, but all are accountable to Him, things go awry. So God gives us these teachings, they're, they're good teachings, and uh, we want to embrace them. And, and even this morning as we, we consider the authority of God, and when, I, when I'm speaking about the authority of God this morning, or authority, it's not just church authority, it's the authority of God over all our lives. Not just like elders and leaders who sometimes have to enforce things, but it's with the understand, I come at it with the understanding of God being over all. And all of us are to willingly submit to his good, good authority. I mentioned last week, and, and it, it's still kind of, I'm astonished at this scripture that people are astonished at. But when Jesus spoke, it fascinates me that as, as many things as he did, with all the miracles that he performed, that one of the things that the people were astonished at was that he spoke with authority. I mean, that means something. They could tell the difference. Now, these were mostly Jewish people. They grew up under teachers. They grew up under rabbis. Learning God's word was very important to them. And so for them to notice that Jesus, the man God, spoke with authority. In other words, he's getting the orders from the, from the top down. So he's not accountable to anybody's interpretation or anybody's opinion about anything that he says. Because it comes straight from God and he authoritatively speaks it and preaches it. So in light of that, I want us to, to conclude that what we need more of in our lives and really what this world needs more of is, is less of man's opinions and more of God's word. And we, we resist it. We're going we're gonna to find out why we resist it. But even as we may resist it, and our world may resist it. We just need to know that we, we really need more of God's revealed word. We need to know more about him, more about his laws, more about what he reveals to us about ourselves and this universe. In Titus 2.15, the apostle tells this fellow laborer in the Lord, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So when, that, that's again, that's the top down. That is, you are to tell these things with authority because God is the main primary source of authority of the things that you're sharing. And people are accountable to the truths. People are accountable to the gospel. We're accountable to worship Christ as Lord and Savior. God sent him into this world as Noah Reminded, of, reminded us of this morning in our time of worship. God sent 
Christ in this world that we might worship him. He's a holy God. He is deserving of all of our obedience and all of our love. And so coming to Christ, it's, it's a willing act. We, when we come to Christ, ideally, we are willingly seeing how holy he is, how worthy he is, and how unworthy we are, and we willingly put ourselves in his hands. We willingly submit to his authority, and in some cases, it's because, in my case, I tried it my own way. And it was epic failure after epic failure after epic failure. So when, when God enlightened my eyes and, and my heart, I was glad to find another way to live. I was glad to find another way to look at life. And so though, you know, we, there's still friction there, I continue to strive to put myself willingly under God's ways and God's law because I know ultimately that's what's best for, for me and that's what's best for God's glory. So it's a little bit of waving the, the white flag of surrender. You know, God, I just, I just give up. I've, I've tried things my way and they're painful. They're destructive. I just give up and I just want as much of you as I can get. And so people in authority, in essence, what do we do? We declare God's word. If you're a parent, God's given you authority to declare his word and to exercise that authority according to his way and his will. And what it does is it enforces what's best for your family. It enforces what's best for you and for your children. Uh, same thing, uh, I, I do it as a parent. I declare God's word. I do it as a pastor. I do it as a counselor. I do it as a, a citizen of heaven. I do it as a friend. I, I, bear, I, I bring God's word into my life, into people's life lives so that they will see the goodness of it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we consider this big topic of authority, consider um, how you received the word of God. So if you are here today, have you placed yourself under the authority of God's word? of God's ways, of God's perspective. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and your neighbor as yourself. Have we, have we surrendered to his system and given our emotions to him, our thought, our intellect to him? And as we do that, we share it with others. That's how God's word spreads. That's how God's kingdom spreads. It reminds me of... Um, a seed. And of course, Jesus uses this analogy of the gospel as a seed and how the kingdom grows. But they didn't have uh, the kind of concrete we have. They did have concrete Roman roads. They don't have it like, like we have it in port today. But I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this, the power of a, a tiny seed. If a tiny seed gets in a crack of concrete, it's not good for the concrete. You'd think it's not good for the seed. With concrete, they pour it, that, on average today, the mix is 3,000 PSI. That's strong stuff, so even the sidewalk out here. Try to hit it with your fist and break it. 
won't be good. Try to jump up and down on it and stomp it and kick it with your heel. It won't be good. Headbutt it. It really won't be good. But you get a little seed. If a seed can find its way into a crack in a sidewalk, that sidewalk's done for. Because what that seed wants to do, it wants to grow. And any chance it's given, it's going to expand and grow. And I'm sure you have seen many community sidewalks have been destroyed by seeds or anything that wants to grow under it. That 3,000 PSI concrete is history. Now the gospel is very similar to that. As we share the word of God, there is power in it. Whether we feel equipped or not, we're taking God's truths and, and we bring those to people and the God's Word has an inherent power that can get into people's hard, concrete hearts. And, if you, and, and as we share the Gospel in God's ways, we're planting those kind of seeds. We're letting God do His work. We'll let the, the Word of God do His work. But it gets into our heart, and sometimes our heart's done for. Because any opportunity to grow... It expands and spans, and it breaks us apart so that God can live in us. When my brother-in-law shared the gospel with me, at first it was kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. I didn't want to give it much thought. But as he persevered, I began to realize he's right. He's right in what he says. That's true. I, that resonates. I, I'm, I'm beginning to see this, that Christ is Lord, that God created all things and that there are ways and we're accountable for our actions and, and He loves us so much. And, and that was a, a strange feeling to realize, wow, this is true because then I had to do something about it. I was faced with my own dilemma of, okay, so if, if you think this is true, then are you going to live according to it? Are you going to embrace it and receive it? Now, it took about a year of that seed continuing to expand in my heart. But by the time I came to Christ, I was begging for salvation. All along that way, God showed me the error of my ways. You reap what we sow, right? And it was not well with me. And by the time I put up the white flag, I was so ready. I was so done with, with living outside of Christ. And I was so filled with hope. That, that God loved me and that there, there are second chances to everything and for everyone. That same hope is the hope of the nations that we sang about this morning. So as we consider all these, the, 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 the dynamics of a church, Paul went to this pagan city, known for its corruption, with what? The Word of God, the message. And this gnarly little guy just started preaching it and sharing it. And, and it's in the mix, a context of a worldview of evil. I mean, these people were just, the Corinthians were just doing what their fathers did before them, what their fathers did before them, and they lived depraved. Uh, they had their own form of government, their own form of, of marriages and relationships and workers and, and bosses and so forth, the whole package of worldview. And, and this little guy goes in there and he just takes the same message that we have today and he preaches it. And I'm sure many walked away. I'm sure many didn't want anything to do with it, but seeds were planted. And eventually people came to Christ. They surrendered. That's why we have problems. So in a sense, it's a good problem. 
it's good to know that, well, there's a church there to have a problem. Now, that's a less problem than had he left and there were not a single convert. But because of the power of God's word, because of the authority of God, this church was planted. Hearts surrendered and came to Christ and saw the light, the concrete cracked. When we put ourselves under the authority of Christ, we're putting ourselves under truth because God is true. God is truth. He doesn't speak or reveal anything. His whole character is one of complete integrity through and through. You'll never catch God in any kind of unholiness or ungodliness. And so that's what we're putting ourselves under, the person and the truth here. And he enforces living according to truth. He enforces living according to reality. Now, we are a culture, you well know, that is really big into being your true self. You hear it all the time. Be your true self. So, it's very important to us in our culture to be our true self. But, so there's this longing here, but we can't achieve it. And we can't achieve being our true self because we don't really know who or what our true self is anymore. We can't define truth. We hardly believe it anymore. And it's, it's hard now to even define self. So we're a culture now where you have people looking into the mirror at their own image and not knowing what their self is, say, in the form of gender. You look at yourself in the mirror and you might not really understand, am I a male or a female? What am I? Because there's that longing there to be true to ourselves and to live to what we really are, but we don't know what we are. And the reason we don't know what we are is because we have abandoned God's authority in favor of our own lofty thinking, our own lofty definitions. And it's left us Hungry, it's left us broken, it's left us corrupt. When we come to God's word, he not only introduces us to himself and who he is, but he introduces us to ourselves. We cannot know ourselves if we do not properly know God. We cannot know ourselves as we are meant to know ourselves. So this is very, this is very practical teaching and very applicable to to the things that we struggle with. Of course, all, all cultures struggle with this. We, when we abandon God, it has different repercussions. So the truth of God breaks through in the falsehood, the false thinking into the, the hearts of the Corinthians. And whatever they had at that time, all of their indulgences, all of their sins, they longed for God more. They, give those, they gave those things up and became worshipers of the one true God because God reconciles the world through His Son, Jesus Christ, as Corinthians teaches us. So if the world operates from a top-down basis, then why do we resist it? Why, why do we re- resist authorities that are in place, things that are, are just there? It's important to know that God does call us to completely trust His Word. 
to trust what he says, that it's good and that it's true. So I think it's also important to, to maybe wrestle a little bit with why we resist it, because that's our reality, right? Now let me just read our verses again here, um, and then we will jump in and consider this. In 2 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 2, I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. And then verse 10, For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. And we'll get, we'll, we'll examine that verse when we get to it. But that's the purpose of authority. God's authority is not to make us miserable. It's to restore us to the original design. So when we come to Christ, Jesus tells us to leave things behind, right? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and, and follow me. So following Christ, it's a daily thing. It's not a once a week, every Sunday we follow Christ. Every week, every day, we have decisions where we look at what God says and then we wrestle with our own thinking and our own emotions and we have to decide, where are we going to land on this? Am I going to trust what God says? Or am I going to do what I feel like? Maybe even what my gut is telling me to do. It's a loving and a trusting God that is what and who we need the most. Because we were made to worship God. We were made to delight and take great joy in His ways and His will. So why do we resist um, authority? Well, the first reason, and most of you know this very well, we resist authority because of our sin nature. As when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that sin, that rebellion is in every human being. So we're, it's inherited, so we're born with a sin nature. Now recently I shared with you some, um, you know, the, the news about a few dec- several decades ago, the church kind of um, went through this phase where we, f- I say the, the church, say in the United States or the, the Western church, went through this phase of, wanting to really be culturally relevant but not feeling like it was connecting with the culture. And so they sent out surveys basically to people who weren't church, they're unchurched. Why don't you come to church and what can we do to accommodate you to make church more user-friendly? And I won't go into all the results there, but one of the, one of the main things that the church learned that the unchurched were saying is that we don't like all the accountability. We like more more autonomy. We don't like being under authority. And so that makes perfect sense because our sin natures resist it. We buck authority, whether it's God or our parents or our bosses or, or law enforcement or whatever. There's a part of us often that, that's not crazy about it. So that should be no, no surprise to us that the spirit of our age is an anti-authority spirit. 
So we live in a world where everybody's opinion is as valid as the next person, whether or not that opinion has any kind of substantial meat to it or not. And that's important. What All the opinions that we hear, social media, it's a great platform for you to express your opinion. So all the opinions that are being expressed today to us ad nauseum is, is telling of a shift in our thinking, a shift in what we're turning to, a shift in what we really value. Because we're becoming a culture that values people's expressions or opinions more, or the way they express those opinions, more than whether what they're saying is even true or right or good or not. So the important thing of great value is not so much truth or validity or that things are substantiated. The important thing is that I get to say what I want to say, what I feel the most passionate about, and you need to listen to me or you're a scoundrel. So the opinion's there. The opinion means more, the idea means more than actual truth itself. So it's a shift there. Now, there were errors where respecting authorities were the norm. It's just how you were raised. It was a cultural thing, not necessarily Christian. But there were other cultures, pagan cultures, that saw the importance of authority. Now, when the gospel would come to these cultures, it was easier for those cultures to adopt it, this whole idea that God's at the top, because they were used to submitting to authority. Now, other cultures, not so much. But I really like this passage in Matthew 8 that shows how clear this can be. Here's an example of how the kingdom works. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to them, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes into my servant. Do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So you see that this centurion, he gets it. He understands the, 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 the hierarchy. He understands how things work. He gets he sees that Jesus is at the top. And he can give orders. Nobody is accountable to him. He, he makes things happen by his own authority. And that's how we, we need to get it and understand it like that as well. To have that kind of faith in God's word. So he understood the authority principle so well that he understood that Jesus didn't have to go to this location. But he had the authority to speak these things because Jesus is God. His ways are better than our ways. He knows what he's doing. He's smarter than we are. He's been around a little longer than we have. He just knows and he's trustworthy and he, and he shares his goodness and he shares his knowledge. 
of what is good with us. And so we want to embrace that. Embrace that. When we don't, when we rebel against God, to borrow a term from R.C. Sproul, it's nothing less than cosmic treason. There, there are so many things that God has put into place, so many realms of authority, so many interactions of, of activity. And every little molecule was created to honor Him and, and to worship Him in whatever created order it was. And when we fail to do that in any level, it is cosmic treason. It, it affects the whole system of goodness and holiness and purity that God has created. We, we talk about sin a lot. We, the Bible makes it clear that it, it, it kills, it maims, it destroys. That's the whole aim behind it. And so, by God's providence... All of our, our lives, it, it interacts. This the spiritual dynamic that takes place in a church. It's incredible what had to happen just for you to even be here today. For you to think the way you think today. So many falsehoods were broken down for us to be able to believe the truth for that seed to come in. So that the, the universe bustles with, with activity Spiritual activity, God is He's removed the curse and He's bending it all back into submission to His final will and authority. So just kind of for, for comparison, I recently read an article. It, it really excited me. It was an article out of The Guardian. And the headline uh, got my attention. It says, Scientists identify vast underground ecosystem containing billions of microorganisms. So this is, there, there, there's this like ecosystem under our feet that is bustling with activity. So let me just quote a little bit of this article. And I was excited reading this because I like this kind of stuff. So the earth is far more alive than previously thought according to deep life studies that reveal a rich ecosystem beneath our feet that's almost twice the size of all the world's oceans. The results suggest 70% of Earth's bacteria and archaea, whatever that is, exist in the subsurface. It's like finding a whole new reservoir of life on Earth, said Karen Lloyd, an associate professor at University of Tennessee in Knoxville. We are discovering new types of life all the time. So much of life is within the earth rather than on top of it. Now that's cool to me. That so much happens. So much living is taking place beneath our feet and we don't even realize it. We're not privy to it unless we have a way to dig down and but what fascinates me if even more is all the life that takes place in the unseen realm. All the life that God has in His ecosystem because He created it. And we don't get to see all of it, but it's there and we benefit from it. And it's never stopped. It's just this, this message of life is good, life is God, good, and God is life. We're surrounded by it. 
in places of our earth that we can't even see, in the places that we can see. It's life. And the kingdom of God is life. The word of God brings us to that kingdom. And when we live under it, then we begin to understand what life is really about. And it's about God. It's about us being created to worship Him and love Him and do all of everything that we can do, all of our capabilities to do them for the glory of God. There's a vast ecosystem. And that's what we're talking about when we understand the authority of God. It is brimming over. It's screaming at us. There is so much goodness in the kingdom of God. Now, as a little side note, I was excited to read that article and then I was excited to think about God's ecosystem in the heavens that we also can't see, but it's just so alive. It reminds me, by the way, of um, Genesis 1.20, right? When he created everything, he says it's teeming. The waters are teeming. The skies are teeming. My version says swarming with what life? It's everywhere. It's in herds, swarms, whatever you can think of. It's just like everywhere. That's how God designed it. So as a side note, I, I read that article and I was kind of thinking about it. I read it to the end. And then a little fine print. Oh, when, it, when I got to the end, do I have this somewhere it's supposed to be in here? Oh, it says, um, so it said, uh, this article is older than three years old. So it's, it, which means it's a good article. They keep putting it out there because people are reading it. They'll continue to put it out there until people read it. So in a sense, it was kind of old news, but it was new to me. So I was very excited to read about it. And again, there's an analogy there with the gospel. The gospel has been true forever. There's a sense in which the gospel is old news. But it's new to me. It's new to you. It's new to those who hear it for the first time. And they will be just as excited about hearing it for the first time. So getting back on track, why do we resist authority? Well, it's just our rebellious nature. To do it. Romans 1 21. It's a commentary on rebellious humanity. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So in our sin nature, there's a lack of respect for God. There's a lack of respect for His character. There's a lack of respect, therefore, for what God has revealed to us. And there's that friction and we resist it. I think I know it to be true in my own heart. And I hope you know it to be true in your heart. So we know about our sin nature. We talk a little bit about that. But it goes farther than just the inside. It's also, we're surrounded by a culture really of the resistance to the authority of God. It's also from the outside. So first it's our sin nature. And second, it's, it's like a cultural philosophy 
to not obey the ways of God or to not even believe in God or His truth. So it's not just an inside job, but it's an outside job. So we're, we're inundated with lots of reasons and examples of not to follow God in His ways and not to submit to Him. So it's not just our nature, but it is our culture. So it's in a passive way and in an active way. Years ago, I've, I'll never forget, um, and I forget a lot of things, but I'll never forget watching Francis, Francis Schaeffer's How Shall We Now Then Live videos. You know, Francis Schaeffer with his beard and his knickers and so forth, and Labrie, very, very powerful ministry God used at that time. But he was describing culture and times and philosophies and he was describing a shift that's taken place in our country. And he said there was a time when a man could stand, and I'm just paraphrasing this. There was a time when a man could stand on the steps of a capital with a Bible in his hand. And that would settle any dispute and bring our nation into unity. So in other words, there was a time where our nation would rally around, oh, okay, well, if God said it, well, if God said it, well then that answers that. That was a time. That was more of a a Christian culture that we lived in. People respected God's Word. Not everybody believed in God, but they understood the principles. They saw that it worked. And they they understood the principle of authority. And even our, our leaders, to some degree, based on how the Constitution was written, would submit to the authority of God in His ways. If He said it, well then, we need to bring ourselves in line with that. But the farther we move away from that concept, if if it's settled when you believe in God's authority, then what happens when we don't? Well then, things are unsettled. And if there's anything that could describe our culture today, it's unsettled. I mean, who is settled on anything? People are up in arms. So today it's not about absolute or the standards, things that need to be true and substantiated. It's about, well, 53% of people think this. 77% of people believe this. Or this celebrity said that. Now when celebrities speak, it doesn't matter that they don't, that's not their area of expertise. doesn't matter that they may not really know what they're talking about, but when celebrities speak, well, everybody just cowers to that opinion or to that insight, even though they're not experts in that. So it's people's opinion, and that's what happens as we think about authority. When we, give, when we just let loose of God on the throne and we put ourselves and our opinion and our lofty thinking on the throne, it's corruption and it's chaos, and we are untethered And anything can happen. And in Judges, we were reminded that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. They came up with their own system of life, their own principles of what's right and wrong, who they're going to listen to, who they're not going to listen to, what they value. And humanity got worse and worse and worse. And we're seeing that unfold, not just read about it in the Bible, but we are seeing that unfold in our very own culture with all of the different forms or thoughts about what's right and what's wrong, we're trying to figure out 
in our society. I guess you could call it another experiment. We're trying to figure out, based on our understanding of humanity and freedom, how everybody can be free to do their own thing and get along. Because we've defined freedom not as submitting to good and true laws, not as freedom as uh, we're free when we find ourselves in harmony with reality. We've defined freedom now as what we think or how we think we ought to live our best lives. That's what's happening and that's why there's so much chaos and a lot of violence, of verbal and physical violence in our world. We're trying to figure out based on our understanding of freedom because we've thrown out God's authoritative word. Trying to rub the cat in the wrong way and the cat does not like it. It's a culture of resistance. It's interesting to me as we think, if we, as we think about thinking and, and God's word and authority that there was an era defined if you took history or philosophy, you'll be very familiar with this term. It's the Dark Ages. In the Dark Ages from approximately 5 to 1500 A.D. Why do we look back at that period of time and call it the Dark Ages? What happened? Did they run out of candles or something? You know, what, what made it dark? Well, what followed the Dark Ages was the era of the Enlightenment thinking the area of human reason, the scientific methodology, and so forth. So after the Dark Ages, we look at, well, now man has seen the light. We don't need to rely on uh, the authority of God's Word because in the Dark Ages, uh, basically the church ruled. And they enforced the best they could, not always perfectly. They enforced God's laws. So God's word was like the authority for things. But then when we discovered laws in the universe and science and things that we could actually observe, we said we don't need that anymore. We were living in darkness. Now we can see it for ourselves. We don't need somebody that we can't even see telling us how the world operates. We can discover it for ourselves. So now we have been enlightened. And the enlightened era was a great boost to man's uh, Self-worth and pride. There's no end to what we can do. We've discovered things. And there was this hope for a utopia. There's just no, there's no ceiling to how far we can go with what we're discovering about life now. What we're discovering about each other and how smart we are. We can just use all these new discoveries for great things. And we can become better and better versions of ourselves. We don't need God anymore. But unfortunately, with that thinking of utopia and striving there uh, to improve the world without God, we had the world wars. And that threw everybody into a, a, a tizzy because now this whole idea of human reason and, and enlightenment bringing us to a new era disappointed us because we used our knowledge for evil. We used it to destroy each other. And so then you have a people who, well, the church failed us and God's authority failed us because it kept us in the dark and then human reason and enlightenment fails us. Where do we go then? And then we have, we're living in postmodernism. And that's where people just don't really care for truth anymore. It, it is what it is. You, you can have your truth, I'll have my truth. 
And what matters if, if really science doesn't even matter as much anymore, right? Because we have very important political issues in our culture today where science says one thing, but ideology says another. Now, we don't even know in our culture when personhood begins. Like, how can you not know when you're a person if you're a people trying to figure out when personhood begins? There's got to be like a time, right? Well, we would say, based on Scripture, that personhood begins at conception. And science, that's scientifically backed up because things happen during conception. But ideologically, when you reject these kind of realities and science, then you just are offering your own opinion of how you want things to be or how you wish they would be. So you see, in a culture that denies or rejects or resists and either any, any of us to any degree or other, when we pull ourselves out of, from under God's word, it's to our own destruction. And there's just a lot of hurt and there's a lot of lostness, there's a lot of emptiness in people's hearts because we've gone astray. It hasn't changed since the garden in that way. And the good news is still the good news. God's ways have not changed. They are still what's best for every individual in the world. That's the hope of the nations that we sang about. That's the hope that we have here with each other in our fellowship that we can share with one another. And we want to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching to live for God, to love God, to keep our values in the right place. What really counts in life? Challenge yourself this morning. Where's your money going? Where's your time going? What are you submitting to? Whose opinions do you value the most? Let me close with this verse. By the way, so you have the, uh, what do we need the most the, the, the dark ages and then you had humanism and modernism and you have basically phenomenology is what we're living in and that is how I think things appear to me. What we need the most is theology. So what we always need the most is theology. So let me close with this verse. It's out of 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this. It's just a, a constant gratitude going up to God for this, the apostle says. What's the this? That when you receive the word of God, when you heard from us, you accepted it not as words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I love that verse, that passage. Because the apostle shared the good news, God's ways, God's commands, the, world, the whole Christian worldview. And they didn't just say, oh, that's just another philosopher's opinion. They didn't just say, oh, that's just an, uh, one of many optional ways to live a, a good life. They didn't just receive it as, oh, well, that, that's uh, some great self-help news. They didn't receive it as anything that was even remotely on their own level of understanding and ciphering and figuring. They received it as what it was, the Word of God that sets people free. That's the enlightenment 
Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians, when God removes the veil of darkness, of sin, and enlightens us to himself and his ways. And when that happens, we realize that the life that we were living was actually keeping us in bondage and enslaved by our own doing. And the gospel sets us free from that enslavement. How did this great transformation happen in Thessalonica? Well, Paul came with the gospel and he shared it. And the seeds took root and the concrete, the hard hearts were broken and people in real life, in real time, were loving God, living for God, worshiping God and being transformed by the Spirit of God. And the same thing happens as we give ourselves to God. He transforms our hearts. So in, in, in the words of the band Crowder, God is good and God is almighty. And God is good God almighty. May God bless the preaching of His Word.